Welcome to podcast number 62 for Thanks for Your Service, Anzac Day, 25th of April 2023. Our focus is on historical topics relating to the Australian military. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube. Just search for Thanks for Your Service. Our website is www.thanksforyourservice.net and you can email us at info at thanksforyourservice.net. I recently came across a comprehensive research project on the 22nd Battalion of the 1st Australian Imperial Force whilst doing some research on my grandfather's service in World War I. The project's author, Greg Stevens, tells us about the project and his grandfather's service. Joining us on the line from Surrey in the United Kingdom is Greg Stevens. Greg, thank you very much for joining us this morning, your time. Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me today. I came across your project and website while doing some research uh, on my own grandfather who uh, was at Gallipoli, uh, landed on the 26th of April, but you've authored a project called Following the 22nd. What is the project about? Well, simply, it's a First World War centenary commemorative project that follows an Australian infantry battalion through the Great War. And in this case, it's the Victorian Ray's 22nd Battalion, Um, simply because that's who my grandfather signed up with and fought with. So more about him later. Um, Now, the thing about the project is that um, it utilizes sources from from various places. So for example, I've got battalion diaries, I've got brigade diaries, I've got Red Cross files for the missing, uh, medal citations, which are all found on the Australian War Memorial uh, website. Um, For those killed in action and those that died of their wounds, we have the Commonwealth War Graves Commission records. I've got personal letters as well, which I spent the best part of a week and a half down in the archives of the AWM in Canberra to go through those to bring out, you know, letters from the front, etc. Uh, of course, Charles Bean's official history is is great to go go for, and then also sort of what's really started off was the uh, the book by Captain Gorman, which was with the twenty second, and that formed the basis of my understanding about what the battalion did, and, and alongside that, or layering on top were the service records of the of the soldiers and having as you can tell you know i'm i live here I'm, i am british i've brought, uh, lived here all my life if we want to do research on on british soldiers it's a lot more difficult than it is with the australians i was absolutely amazed the the amount of detail that is there that are available for anyone wishing to do their um, you know, research for for Australians. So, so I had all these bits and pieces together, and really, it's a case of trying to turn over as many of the pieces of the jigsaw as possible to get a clearer picture about what our um, ancestors went through during the during the Great War. And I think because what I did is I focused very much on the centenary period. So I had all these buckets of information that were there. And I loaded them up onto the website on the uh, centenary of when they happened. So we actually had a sort of a time lapse project. And I and I would think that you know possibly this is the this is the most complete set of data brought together in a in a time lapse way that's ever been done on an Australian um, um, you know uh, unit. 
But that was really during the centenary period. But also what I've done is to try a little bit, provide a little bit of background is uh, also put down where the uh, where the men trained, the hospitals they went to, the transport ships they went over on as well. So it has a broader um, reach and uh, interest to not just people within the 22nd, um, it's beyond that as well. And then also today, this website is a forum for families wishing to share their own stories. So I have many uh, personal stories that are up there with with personal photographs and memorabilia as well. So it's an ongoing sort of collection, really, of the uh, the time that the men spent there. And, and you said that this project was a centenary uh, project. When did you start putting it together? Right. Well, OK, um, I started pretty much in about oh, about 10 years ago now, about, about 2013. Uh, but it really, really started in about 2010. Um, my grandfather, George Stevens, um, he was uh, he was born in Port Melbourne. All we knew about him is that uh, he had signed up underage. Um, he had been wounded four times. Um, he went he went absent without leave. He got court-martialed, and he got the military medal. And probably most importantly, he met a uh, a young lovely young young lady from Twickenham that he ended up marrying. So that's all we knew. But that was it. But then in about 2010, uh, one of my brothers pointed out that the he had found my grandfather's service records online and there were 60 odd pages of, of it there. So I started going through and we were just approaching my uh, my dad's 80th birthday. So I said, right, OK, what we're going to do, I'm going to do some research, get all this information together. And I arranged a guided battlefield tour of France and Belgium to to go around and um, and basically, from that point, I was hooked. <laughs> so I thought, okay, we got the centenary coming up. What can I do? So I thought, first of all, about uh, writing a blog about my grandfather and putting up that. But then, as I had his service records um, complete, I started to look at the other 153 men of the fifth reinforcements that he signed up with. How many of those records were there? And guess how many I found? 153. <laughs> so suddenly I had real detailed information on a whole set of reinforcements, the fifth reinforcements. So basically going from what I thought was going to be a blog, I um, I, I ended up doing this uh, th this project because it grew and grew and grew. And I think um, if my wife was listening to now, she would say she basically lost for me for about five years while I was doing all the research and, and, and putting it up. So, so obviously, your your grandfather George Stevens was part of the motivation for you to create the project. Yeah, most definitely. Um, yeah, and 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 he was part of the of the fifth reinforcements. Did they all go into the twenty second battalion, or what was their sort of history, or or or, or the the um the linkage to the to the twenty second battalion? Well, so at the time when when my grandfather enlisted, this was in July nineteen fifteen, and this was just right during the time of the what I would call the great recruitment drive that was taking place across Australia. The first wave had all signed up for for Gallipoli, but then uh, things started to slow down, and I think the authorities were looking at Victoria in particular and thinking they weren't doing a very good job. So there was a massive, massive recruitment. Um, um, going on at that time so my grand my grandfather signed up there and men were signed you know thousands of men were signing up and they would be assigned to a 
a set of reinforcements to a, a particular battalion. So this group, this cohort of 154 men, all signed signed up within probably, or well, the majority of them within a probably a two to three week window, and they went off to Broadmeadows in um, in what was it? I think late August 1915, and started to train together. So they went across, uh, they sailed across to uh, to Egypt uh, because that was where they were at that time thinking that they may well be reinforcing the men that were over on the uh, Gallipoli Peninsula at that time. But of course, uh, the evacuation had taken place. So they they met up with the rest of the uh, the battalion when they when they were in uh, in, um, uh, in in the desert. So some of them some of that 154 went off into different units because that also what was taking place at that time was a bit of a weeding out process because it was great the response that people had the men had made and australia had had, had made at this particular time but not everyone was really cut out for fighting on the front line my grandfather he had only just turned 17 when he signed up so he's not far past his 16th birthday. We hear a lot about underage soldiers. What we don't hear so much is the other end. So there are men in their 40s and 50s as well. So during Egypt, uh, during the time in Egypt, they then uh, put people into different units uh, that were more probably more suited. The, the pioneers started, for example. And then, of course, there was the creation of the, uh, the, the fourth and fifth divisions. So they needed men as well. So not all of those 154 uh, stayed together, but I would say a good uh, three quarters of, of them did. And, I, and I've recorded their, their whole time uh, together. So if we, if, if we focus on your grandfather, so George uh, joined the, the fifth reinforcements. He went yeah. to Egypt in about, was it August or September 1915? Well, that's when they went to Broadmeadows and then they, Broadmeadows. they, they yeah, they, they, they sailed in uh, September 1915. So they would have got to, across to, um, to Egypt at about, uh, about the October time, I think it is. And then in early January, that's when the, the, the boys came back from, uh, from Gallipoli. Um, and I think it must have been quite a shocking time for them because you know, they had just endured three months of hell over there, you know, with the disease and the weather, et cetera, et cetera. So many, many had lost weight. But, uh, but that's where they started to get amalgamated in. And the time in Egypt was spent really in the canal zone uh, preparing defences, because at that time they thought the Turks may well come down through Palestine and attack the Suez Canal. So they, uh, they, they worked on uh, different um, defences there, including trenches in the desert, they had a sandstorm. They all went back to camp. Went back to find their uh, the trenches. They're all gone. <laughs> They'd all been filled in by uh, by sand. So that was a pointless exercise that was learned. And then they decided to to redo the uh, defences on the what would be the western side of the the canal at that time. So they stayed there until March, and then uh, the call came for the AIF to set sail for uh, for the Western Front. And the second division, they were the first division to go across to uh, to France, and the twenty second were were one of the first of the of the division too. So they they set sail on the Landovery Castle, and arrived in um, in Marseille on the twenty sixth of March in in nineteen nineteen sixteen. So one of the first ones in, and then they headed north up to uh, to Fran uh, French Flanders. 
around Armontier, around that area, and uh, it's, it was known as the nursery sector because it was a quiet sector at that, uh, that particular time. And uh, the British Army decided to put a lot of the newer uh, units, uh, because coming from Britain at the time were the Powell's battalions as well, the great recruitment was taking place there. So they, um, so they, they cut their teeth up there, but really it was just getting used to, uh, to, to trench life up, up there. So they spent uh, a couple of months um, in, in that particular area. And then of course, with the summer coming in 1916, preparations were being made for the great Somme offensive of the 1st of July. And so, uh, so they got involved in doing some trench raiding at that time in order to try to keep the Germans on their toes, not, you know, not knowing what was gonna be taking place. And then uh, 1st of July, the great offensive started. And then by sort of mid-July, the Australian division started to head south uh, from, from French Flanders down to the Somme. And uh, the second division, so the 22nd amongst them, went into Poitiers at, on the 28th, 29th of July, 1916. And that was a baptism of fire that no one, you know, the boys in Gallipoli, you know, I think they were all pretty, uh, you know, felt as though they were set aside from the rest of the reinforcements, but Pozier was a great leveller. Uh, I mean, it was the most heaviest, heaviest uh, bombarded place on the whole of the British front at that particular time. Um, many, many men were killed there um, and also, um, uh, you know, shell shock. And I know that my grandfather was there because one of the things I was able to do is going through the Red Cross files of men that were missing, I actually came across an interview they had with my grandfather in hospital when he was in Bristol, which actually said that he had seen this particular uh, soldier fall as they were attacking the what was known as OG2, it's the second line of defence going through, German defence going through uh, Poitiers on the, on the 5th of August. So that was a great way of me to actually being able to physically put my grandfather at that particular point as opposed to just uh, you know con conjecture so so that's uh, so he started off uh, there he got through Poitiers fine uh, then they stayed they, they were in the Fleurs area and that's when of course the wind was coming and and all the mud was coming you know it was the atrocious conditions uh, but on the 13th of November, his luck ran out and uh, he was out in the open when he got hit by shrapnel from a shell. So off he went um, to, uh, to hospital, crossed to England, went to the camps in um, Weymouth and Wiltshire, uh, recuperated back out to the front in March 1917. And within two days of being out, the, out there, in again the Somme area, again he was hit by shrapnel, this time in the foot. He got an, a blighty one this, and went back home. And for him, I think it was a relatively minor wound, but it did see him out of the, the frame for quite some time as the Australian units were regrouping in 1917 in preparation for third eight. They didn't put all the men back. Um, and I think a certain amount of boredom crept in over there. Um, cutting a long story short here, um, it did have an impact on discipline. And together with his, what we found out to be his best mate from the 22nd, a guy called uh, Charles Samways, the two of them went absent without leave in August and September uh, 1917 for six weeks. 
and yes. it's an incredible amount of time now in the research that I was able to do, I, I found that um, the the English side of the family, so this was my grandfather's father's family, were hoteliers in West London. So amongst them, they, they owned the Drayton Court Hotel, which in 1914 had a certain Vietnamese uh, chap man working in the kitchens. And I asked everyone, can you name a, a famous Vietnamese person? And there's only one that most people come up with, Ho Chi Minh. Ho Chi Minh worked in the kitchens of one of our wow. relatives. This was while he was traveling around France and England and the U.S., building up his, uh, well, his, just, his life, really. Yeah. Uh, so, so there was that. Uh, they, they developed a, a theater, the Lyric Theater in Ealing. They had a gentleman's club, for smoking room, um, pool. And then they also owned a hotel in Twickenham called the Eel Pie Island. Now, some people listening today might be aware of the Ilpai Island, particularly if they are followers or fans of The Who and The Rolling Stones, because in the 1960s, that's where they, uh, they used to do their rock gigs. But at that time, during, 19, in the, during the First World War, it was uh, tea rooms um, mm. and for dance, tea dancing. And my grandmother, a young lady, used to come along, and that's where they met. So I do say, you know, you know that... Um, you know, being a 19-year-old that overseas that had been wounded twice with all this free entertainment and a girlfriend who wouldn't want to stay AWOL for a period of time. But the, uh, but the amazing thing is, is that neither him nor Charles were court-martialed at this particular time. The Australians had already um, made the rules more lax. So if you went AWOL for three weeks, then you were unlikely to get court-martialed six weeks. I haven't come across anyone like that. My only... Uh, feeling is that uh, the Aussies were running out of men and they needed everyone to go back to the mm. front. Now, just as a side here, um, as part of the, all my research, I've actually written a paper on discipline within the Australians on the Western Front, which is available on the website. And I've also, there is a YouTube um, presentation that I delivered to the uh, Western Front Association a couple of years or so ago. So, so, you know, I thought uh, that, that would, consider mm. we've got skin in the game as a family, that would be um, be a good one. So George, George and Charles, they were sent back to the front. Um, they rejoined the battalion up in Belgium and in the winter of 1917. And then, of course, in spring of 1918, the Germans had their last throw of the dice before the Americans mm. arrived with their German spring offensive. So the Australian Corps moved south to, 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 to shore up the area around the Somme. All the old battlefields that they had fought over in 1916 and 17 were now in German hands. And the 22nd Battalion, they relieved um, the 45th Battalion. So I think most people, many people would have read um, uh, Private Lynch's Somme Mud, the, uh, mm. the, what, the, his memoirs that uh, they relieved the 45th there. And then on the 8th of April, in a shell hole, uh, George got hit for the third time, this time through the chest, bullet wound. He probably thought, well, I'm still alive. Uh, it means I can go back to England again. But no, uh, what they did this time is they just went up to northern France, into the hospitals, into the um, recuperation centers there, patched him up, back to the front for, for the summer. He was involved in the successful attack at Ville-sur-Ancre, 
which is the battle that Sergeant Ruthven got the Victoria Cross. This is the only uh, VC from the battalion in the war at that time. Um, and then what was happening was peaceful penetration during the summer, where the Australians really put the pressure on the uh, the Germans by these small bite-sized attacks, sometimes at night, some, often without uh, covering barrage and that. Mm. And at that time, the only thing that the Germans, who were now becoming really demoralized and depleted, could respond with was, uh, was shelling, and particularly the use of poison gas. And it was in one of these occasions that uh, a gas shell went off and my grandfather didn't have his mask on. And so that was his fourth wounding. Um, back up to northern France, patched up again, back to the front. And he was, so he rejoined the battalion um, in, um, in September, just as we were now starting. We'd gone through Mont Saint-Quentin and we were going through the various stages of the um the hindenburg line so you know towards the finishing line there hmm. now george also won the military medal what were the circumstances about that award indeed well it was it was after he had uh, returned um this for this final time in september 19 1918 um the battalion was tasked with taking the uh, beau revoir reserve line so really this was the last line of defense in the Hindenburg lines. There were three different sections and this was the last part of the third section. Beyond that, that lay open countryside all the way to the German border. So this was the, you know, the last nut to crack. So on the 3rd of October, the battalion was tasked with taking the high ground um, close to, uh, to Beau Revoir. And during that attack, um, 11 men were killed including um, George's C Company uh, commanding officer, Captain Braithwaite, who was a very, very popular officer within the, uh, within the group. And it had a, quite a profound impact on, on the men. And um, how should we say, they, uh, they didn't um, let his uh, death go um, uh, unpunished. They took apps, you know, the, I wouldn't say they took no prisoners, but it was it was a very bloody, bloody affair that took place. So that was on the 3rd of October. The following day, um, the orders came down and C Company were, were, were tasked with taking the first objective, which was just a sort of a road that's a right, that ran perpendicular across where they were going. And they managed to get there without too much bother. They got to their point and then from that point, then A and D companies were to go through them to go on to take the main objective up, um, up by Geneva and Poncho. And it was during this that there was uh, some heavy casualties, um, both on shelling and machine gun fire, and including the, uh, the, the, uh, the stretch stretcher bearers. Um, so you know, they were being killed out in the open. So I'm now going to read um, from the citation that, uh, that came out. So this is on the, the 4th of October, 1918. It says, when volunteer stretcher bearers were called for, Private Stevens went out to the assistance of the wounded in broad daylight. He had to cross exposed and bullet swept ground in close proximity to, uh, to the enemy posts, but worked for hours unremittingly, suckering his wounded comrades and carrying them back to shelter. In the performance of this work, he showed absolute fearlessness and a cool courage of self-sacrifice that had a marked effect on the morale of all he came in contact with. So for this, he was awarded the, um, the military medal on what actually turned out to be the last engagement by the 22nd 
in the war and what actually turned out to be the penultimate day for the Australian court as uh, as as a whole. So uh, so that that was his military military medal there. So but but his but his his service record doesn't really finish with that um, because he after after the um, the uh, the Australian Corps got relieved and the Americans came in for some uh, they had some well earned rest. Um, George and Charles were both put uh, went on leave. They went back to England. Um, George picked up where he'd left off before. On then on the eleventh of uh, November, nineteen eighteen, Armistice Day, mm. church bells were all ringing, and that the two of them probably said, "Right, we've done our bit now." And so they went AWOL again, this time for four weeks. Goodness. Uh, but this time they were not so lucky and uh, <laughs> and uh, they they got apprehended or gave themselves, I, I don't know which one, uh, but this time they got a court martial and both of them got uh, 40 days field punishment number two for their for their um, troubles. So George then returned back to um, back back to the unit eventually, who are now in Belgium. Um, and then um, you had then he was part of the sick quota for the uh, return to Aust Australia. The first ones to go were the were the boys from Gallipoli. So they looked Ooh. at sort of service. So so George was in the sixth, went back to England, and in June 1919 he got married to to many at uh, in Saint, um, in East Twickenham. And then they both returned back to uh, to Australia and Port Melbourne in uh, in December of that uh, of that year. Goodness. Now, Greg, yep. um, George also had other relatives in the war. Who were they, and what did they do? Yes, indeed. Uh, well, first of all, he had two he had two uncles. So this is this is from his mother's side. So his mother, Polly Pinkerton, had two brothers. Um, William and Walter. Polly was the eldest at forty, and the next one was uh, was William Pinkerton. So he was thirty eight, uh, but he he actually was was an example of the type of um, soldier that the Australians were looking for at the beginning of the war, which were either those that were either in the, the army or the militia or had had previous experience elsewhere and with uh, in William's case he'd served uh, with the Bethune's mounted infantry in the Boer War so that was very much going out um, you know sort of scouting type um, type work so so in, even though he was 38 you know fairly fairly elderly he was someone that uh, that they were looking for so William joined the fifth battalion and he sailed from Melbourne on in October 1914 on the Orvieto. So the, as many people know, the Orvieto was the one that also took the um, uh, you know the, the general staff, including um, Bridges, Major General um, um, Bridges at that time. So they were destined for England. So I don't know how many of the listeners do know that you know originally the. The AIF was he was heading for England, but uh, mm. a lot of it. Could, the reason why they went to Canada was, I'm sorry, begging pardon, not Canada to um, to Egypt was because the Canadians had taken all the camps <laughs> out in Salisbury Plain, and there was a worry that they would be out in the cold uh, during the winter. So they were told to stop at uh, at, at, at Egypt. So so they mm. did, and. Um, 
then, then of course, uh, Gallipoli happened, and uh, so William William Pinkerton, as part of the fifth, fifth battalion, say, sailed for the peninsula. Now the fifth were in the second wave ashore, mm. and uh, they, uh, they they were tasked with going across the rough and difficult terrain uh, towards Four Hundred Plateau. And they got up to the vicinity of um, what became known as Lone Pine and also Johnston's uh, Jolly. Now, during the during the research again, I was reading, and, the, and then I came across what for me was a fascinating piece. So this is uh, Charles Bean writing in Volume One of his uh, official history. Um, he talked about Lieutenant Derham, who was of the Fifth Battalion. He said he, that's Derham. Um, sent forward a trustworthy scout, Private Pinkerton, upon the dangerous task of reconnoitring the forward slope of the plateau. After 15 minutes, Pinkerton came back with the news that no such line existed in front of them. The only sign of what might be a firing line was a half a dozen Australians whom they saw lying in rifle pits scratched on the summit of Johnston's Jolly. So, so Pinkerton had come back with that information, but as we found out later, Pinkerton was killed later that day. He was killed in action. And like many at that particular time, um, in that first and second wave that got to the point that the Australians never really went before, went before, you know. So they got up to the, you know, the to the to the plateau in, on that first morning. Many of the men were never found. So so William Pinkerton is commemorated up on the Lone Pine Memorial. Mm. Now, through through this research. I was able, and one of the you know the tangible benefits of this thing is meeting some great people, including relatives that that we never knew existed, and one of which was a lady by the name of Maureen, who is now in her nineties, and she's a, a granddaughter of William Pinkerton, and mm. we've become great friends, um, uh, you know, since. And and she actually told me, she said, uh, she said World War One was ever present in my youth. The walls of my grandmother's house were were where we all resided were decorated with war images. William in uniform, assorted generals, battle scenes, flags of other nations, and overseen it all, a very severe Queen Victoria, who Maureen told me he thought she was her third grandmother. Mm. Anyway, he said, I, I sent her this information and she was astounded by it. And she said, having recently read Bean's account, my grandmother's grief and unhappiness might have been eased knowing that his sacrifice had meaning and that William was regarded as a hero to know those that knew him. And, so she and said where, to me, she said, Greg, this information's come through a hundred years too late, you know, it, unfortunately. And, 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 and it's amazing how you still learn uh, of, uh, of, uh, new information in in regard to your relatives. Now, yes. um, we're, we're obviously we're recording this on the twenty fourth of April, so uh, obviously tomorrow is Anzac Day. So, so William's um, William's history, uh, one hundred and eight years later, he was actually killed on killed in action on Anzac Day or the day after. He was actually on Anzac Day in Anzac the evening. Day. Yes, on the 25th. Yeah, so if you look at his records, it actually says the 25th. Now, as it happened at that time, information never got back straight away, and he did not appear until the 42nd casualty list, and that is uh, that was back in, oh, I think it was in June um, of 19, so 1915, so almost two months afterwards. Mm. And then 
my grandfather, he enlisted three weeks after the news. So you can imagine what the air must have been like in the kitchen as he told his mum what he was about to do. <laughs> so so that was William. And then William had a younger brother called uh, Walter, Walter Pinkerton. He was he was 30 when he enlisted in uh, in 1916. And he was a former caretaker of the Port Melbourne Cricket Club. Um, now, family folklore for my, my dad, for hearing about he said that he he thought that his dad i george played cricket at the mcg i thought oh, he must have been because he did like his cricket but i think probably looking into now is probably the pmcg where he played played his cricket anyway he was assigned to the 23rd battalion so and he was in the in the 12th reinforcements and he joined uh the 23rd battalion were part of the 6th brigade in the second division so they were one of these battalions that were alternating with george uh he joined the um the the unit uh, on the in, in the fleur sector of the of the somme and during the winter time with all the mud and that that's when men were starting to go down with trench foot and water was one of these so he uh, he contracted uh, trench feet and he was evacuated back to England in January 1917. And a bit like a bit like George, he didn't didn't go back straight away. He spent most of 1917 in England recovering and training again. And he did not return to the 23rd and uh, 22nd, sorry, 23rd Battalion until the 22nd of September. Now, this is when 3rd Ypres was in full swing. And the uh, the Australian Corps was now focus very much on the area around Broodsinder and the Broodsinder Ridge. And then on the, so on the 9th of October, uh, there was a battle known as the Battle of Polkapel. And the, um, and the 23rd Battalion were on the right-hand flank of this, this whole attack, of, of which George, uh, sorry, Walter was part of this. But sadly, Walter was also killed in action. He was killed on, on the 9th of October, 1970. And he now rests in Hegel Dump Cemetery, which is to the, to, you know, to the west of Belgium. So both of the, the Pinkerton uh, boys were killed. But I'm delighted to, and very proud to say uh, that the Pinkerton family uh, have done a great job in remembering um, their you know, former ancestors. Um, so William was honoured at the Australian War Memorial last post ceremony back in July 2019. Mm. And the family also honoured Walter just a couple of months ago in February, February uh, um, uh, 2023. So... So that was that was lovely to see that, and I was able to watch both live on on YouTube. And in both cases, the eulogy was read by then current serving members of the Australian Armed Forces. So that was a, yeah. a nice nice touch. And, and there's a third relative as well, but this is by marriage. So I mentioned to you about Charles Sam Samways. This is my grandfather's partner in crime that went went to yeah. AWOL yeah, together. AWOL. Well, anyway, so so. So my grandfather was a bit later going back to Australia because of getting getting married. But by the time he got back, which was towards the end of 1919, Charles was already seeing George's younger sister, Daisy. And the following right. year, 1920, the two of them got married. So, so, so Charles be, then became a uh, brother-in-law. So when I was uh, over, what was it? I think it was 2015. I, I was in, over in um, Australia doing doing research and visiting people. I tried to track down relatives of um, of, of Charles, 
Uh, but sadly, um, their son, Frank Samways, was the last of the line, and he died in 20, uh, 2007. But what mm. I did find out, and uh, that uh, for those people that live in North Melbourne might be familiar with the, with the Gracie Street Lost Dogs Home, so he used to go down. They had no children, uh, Frank. Um, so he used to he used to go down there a lot, and he he uh, left a lot of his estate to the uh, the Gracie Street uh, home. And in 2012, they opened a new veterinary centre there, which is called the Frank Samways Veterinary Clinic. So that's there, and I've been along there and wow. and, and you know had my photograph taken in front of it. So that was a, you know a nice end, nice end in there. Um, and then also just finishing up on Charles, Charles, um, uh, I was able to track down one of his, his mates that had his medals and war memorabilia. He, this was after he died. He didn't know what to do with it. So he sent them to the Shrine of Remembrance in mm -hmm. Melbourne. And uh, I went down into the vault, saw those. But it was only about one or two years ago, I got a note from them saying that they have now made uh, um, a, or put taken part of the collection and it's now up in display in the main museum, including a photograph of my grandfather as well. So, wow, so my grandfather's fine. now made it into the museum part of the of, of the of shrine. the shrine of Remem remembrance. Yes. That's wonderful. Yes. Now so, your, yes. your 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 website is really a great trove of of, of knowledge about the twenty second, but and also just historic aspects. Like I said, I went and look, looked at the. Um, looked at Broadmeadows camp, but where, where can people go to find out more on your project and the 22nd Battalion? Yes, well, the, the actual title is called Following the 22nd, but the uh, the URL is www.anzac-22nd, so it's 22nd-battalion.com. Um, and so, so that's up there, but also... Uh, I'm, I'm I'm delighted to say that a number of years ago I was contacted by the uh, the National Library of Australia, who are putting together a digital archive, and and it's now part of their Pandora digital archive um, system. So, so once I once I've long gone, it hopefully it will be there for future generations to uh, to look at. But that so you have to look for following the twenty second. It comes there. Um, we also have a Facebook page, which I administer, which is at the time it, it, it commemorated things that happened 100 years to the day. But now it's more to do with news such as uh, the Anzac Day uh, parade that, that the, the association is taking place in, um, other commemorative events, or some people will, will post um, photographs and memorabilia that they've just located in the attic or something like Ooh. that. Um, so that is Anzac. 122nd battalion if anyone wants to look look at that there was there is a twitter page but really that was only used during the uh, the commemorative period so very little on that um and then finally there is a 22nd battalion association which is uh, managed by by ian russell who's one of the, he's the son of fred russell who's one of the gallipoli originals and between the two of them they have been secretary of the association for over a hundred years. Goodness, yeah, <laughs> wonderful. So, so that's you know that's a, that's nice. So, so Ian's probably as we record this now, he's tucked up in bed because he's got an early early start tomorrow, and he'll be uh, he'll be marching to the shrine tomorrow. Yes, and of course, if anyone wants to 
contact me directly, they can get my information um, via the uh, via the website. Wow. You follow in the twenty second website. And and Greg, what are your plans for Anzac Day twenty twenty three? Well, I will be uh, logging on here online and uh, and and you know looking. So and then a bit of quiet reflection. So I'm not going to any any particular services uh, this time. I've I've managed to been up to the cenotaph where we've done that, and I've also been down to uh, to Weymouth, which is where one of the biggest camps was. And um, so there was a very much a, an ANZAC um, you know focus on on that particular time. One thing I'm yet to do, and it's still on my to do list, in that is to go across to Villas Bretonneau. I haven't done the uh, the dawn service over there yet, so that's uh, that's for that's for uh, for another year, I think. Following the 22nd, Greg, thank you so yep. much for your time today. It's really appreciated. Well, thank you very much. I've enjoyed uh, talking to you today. Thank you. That's the podcast for today. You can find links to following the 22nd on our Facebook page and our podcast. We're keen to hear your feedback by leaving a review on your podcast app. Your reviews help others find our podcast. You can help support this podcast via Patreon or Buy Me A Coffee. The links are on our website and Facebook page and your support helps us with the production of this podcast. Thanks for listening and thanks for your service. Lest we forget. <laughs>